Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me. Before I get into today's show, I want to share with you uh, for a brief moment about why I'm doing this. You see, whether this country remains free, prosperous and filled with opportunity for our children and grandchildren hangs in the balance. Now, I'm optimistic, but I'm also realistic. If we don't deal with the threats to freedom, prosperity and opportunity, we will only have ourselves to blame. It's up to us to serve our generation and to leave a legacy for the ones to come. I hope that a show like this can contribute to the national discussion, jolt our thinking and stiffen our resolve to fight for a better future. The days of sitting on the sidelines are over. We must take political action. We should all pray for our nation, but we should all take action. Now, life has been very good in this country for most people for most of the past 75 years. For most Australians, politics is something they set by voting on election day and then forget about. They set and forget until the next election. Now, political argument for most people is background noise for what is largely a disengaged citizenry. While we've been disengaged, others have been engaged. These have been people who don't share our values. In the past 30 years, there's been the rise of the Greens political party with a radical social and environmental agenda. The major parties have essentially capitulated as evidenced by their support for two iconic issues. One, eliminating carbon dioxide emissions, no matter what the cost. And two, the radical LGBTIQA plus political agenda. Now, there's other issues as well, but these are two litmus test issues. One is destroying our economy. The other is snatching our freedoms and harming our children. There are other issues, but I'm trying to offer a distillation of where we find ourselves in 2023. These are two issues, the two test issues from which so much flows that is impacting on our daily lives and shaping a future which will not work out well unless we change course. Suddenly, our power prices are going up for no good reason, and we've lost control of what our kids are being taught in our schools and by our culture. If political leaders had the courage to address these two issues, our economy would flourish and our children would also flourish. But we're hobbled by poor political leadership. But if you and I can get a discussion going about the better ideas for a better Australia, and if that discussion can translate into political action, we can have a better future. As World Pride kicked off and Sydney turned on the style, a substantial win for the queer community. I read the legislation yesterday afternoon. Uh, there is no place in our state for harmful practices. 
The New South Wales Premier belatedly joining the opposition leader in backing Alex Greenwich's private members' bill, banning gay conversion therapy. My legislation will look at conversion practices that seek to suppress or convert someone's sexuality or gender identity. We really took a survivor-led process. Gay conversion therapy is a catch-all term for a variety of medical, psychological and faith-based practices. Now, after initially backing New South Wales independent MP Alex Greenwich's proposed bill to ban so-called gay conversion therapy, Premier Dominic Perrottet and opposition leader Chris Minns are now walking back their support. Now, it's not often the rainbow political activists receive such pushback. But that's because, in this case, the truth is slowly filtering out. Not that you'd know that from the mainstream media. Greenwich wants his conversion therapy bill to mirror Victoria's Change and Suppression Act, a sinister piece of legislation introduced by Labor's Dan Andrews, but also supported by the Liberals. That's right, supported by the Liberals. In Victoria, parents, doctors, counsellors, priests and pastors who try to stop a child from having experimental and irreversible gender conversion therapy can be jailed for 10 years. You see, it's the LGBTIQA plus political activists that are into conversion therapy, not the rest of us. They want to criminalise anyone who dares try and stop them converting a child with drugs and surgery. In Victoria, it is illegal for someone with unwanted same-sex attraction or gender confusion to voluntarily request prayer or counselling. The person who prays or counsels could be fined or jailed. This is what Alex Greenwich wants in New South Wales and every Australian state. Not that the project will tell you that. But thanks to two recent multi-faith forums in Western Sydney attended by both Perrottet and Minns, where the truth about Greenwich's agenda uh, could be revealed, both leaders have now rejected banning prayer and preaching. This is real progress. Minns said this week, and I quote, taking offence at the teachings of a religious leader will not be banned. Expressing a religious belief through sermons will not be banned. And an individual with their own consent seeking guidance through prayer will not be banned either. That's what Chris Minns, uh, the Labor leader who, who could be Premier after March 25, said. Now, Dominic Perrottet, the current Liberal Premier, has also made a similar commitment in the wake of this meeting with faith leaders. Greenwich's true aim is not to stop harmful conversion practices which no one supports and which probably no longer happen. His real aim is to gag religious perspectives on sexual flourishing which are at odds with his rainbow view of the world. Thankfully, after some prompting from the faith leaders, Perrottet and Minns have not fallen for Greenwich's agenda. Now, Victorian politicians did, of course, as did Queensland and ACT politicians who signed off on slightly less worse legislative models than Victoria's. Minns has gone even further in a written statement to the religious freedom campaign group Freedom for Faith. He said this, quote, Neither the Greenwich Bill or the Victorian model will be the starting point for our legislation. Any legislation to ban conversion therapy or suppression practices must not outlaw individuals voluntarily seeking out medical health, allied or other advice and assistance regarding their personal circumstances, end quote. Now, you can see Minns is pushing back on the unscientific, born-that-way narrative of the political activists. The truth is, many people stop being gay, and increasing numbers of people who change genders are detransitioning after having done irreparable damage to their bodies. 
Now, neither leader has addressed the issue of whether parents and doctors will be jailed, as is stipulated in Victoria. But given Perrottet and Min's willingness to push back on Greenwich's attempt to ban prayer and preaching, it's hard to see jailing parents making it through the New South Wales legislation. It's looking like all that will be it's, it's, sorry, it's looking like all that will be left in Greenwich's bill is a ban on things that don't happen, such as electric shock treatment and things which no one is interested in seeing happen. If the Victorian-style jail time for parents and doctors can be removed from Greenwich's bill, his bill will be a nothing burger. Perhaps even then the Victorian law could be amended. The Rainbow Political Lobby will not be happy about Greenwich's bill being defanged. But if Australia is to remain a free society, this lobby group is going to have to start being a bit more tolerant of diversity. No doubt you've heard the news that Martin Isles is leaving the Australian Christian Lobby after five years as Managing Director. Martin replaced me when I left at the beginning of 2018, also after five years. I worked for a total of 10 years at ACL and it was the privilege of my life to do so. The board and its chairman Jim Wallace are some of the most integrous and godly people I know. And Martin is of course one of the most talented and gifted people that I've ever met. It was a joy for me to see him take the organisation to new heights. He has stated his desire to focus more on preaching and less on politics. I wish him well. But it's vital that ACL's gospel mission to politics continues. There's never been a greater need for Christian engagement in this space. It's obviously not been an easy time for Martin or the ACL. It's clear we should pray. But equally, I hope you will join me in getting behind whoever emerges as ACL's leader in the days ahead. ACL has achieved much, but its work is only just beginning. What are your member schools facing if the proposals in this paper are given the force of law? Uh, devastation, uh, frankly. Now, when I saw that clip a couple of weeks ago, I was shocked. If this doesn't wake up religious people in the nation to the threat of freedom, nothing will. Mark Spencer is the head of public policy for Christian Schools Australia, one of the peak bodies for a network of schools which educates 150,000 children. CSA's concern is that recommendations from the Australian Law Reform Commission, if enacted by the Albanese government into law, will strip the schools of their freedom to employ staff who share their ethos. Now, a Christian school or a Muslim school that can't employ people who share their ethos is no longer a religious school. But the ALRC in its discussion paper said it should be illegal for a religious school to seek a teacher or, or sorry, to sack a teacher who attends a so-called pride event. Now, let's just think about that. Sydney World Pride is currently underway. It's advertising uh, as part of uh, Pride Amplified programs, which it says are part of Sydney World Pride. They're advertising animal fetish events such as a sexuality parade that includes whips, puppies and ponies. Any school which has a staff member attending creepy events like that should be able to positively discriminate <coughs> in favour of, of staff members who share the parent community's values and expectations of a good role model for their children. But not so if the ALRC gets its way. The ALRC argues it is necessary to set aside the human rights of parents to educate their children in the way they see fit because somehow religious education might be harmful to same-sex attracted people or people struggling with their biological sex. 
Now, Toowoomba-based GP, Dr. David Van Gend, is the author of a book called Stealing from the Child, The Injustice of Marriage Equality. Dr. Van Gend looked at the evidence the ALRC used to justify such a dramatic trampling of parents' rights and found it was flimsy. Dr. Van Gend joins me now. David, welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Lyle. David, what is the ALRC's justification for recommending religious schools be stripped of the freedom to discriminate positively in favour of staff who believe their and their parent community's mission? The Law Reform Commission justifies this um, draconian act by the word necessity. Necessity is a legal term which allows you to trample on fundamental human rights. And the, the committee acknowledges at the start that this proposal will interfere with core human rights, religious freedom, association, and very importantly, Article 18, the rights of parents to determine the moral education of children, not the state, the rights of parents to determine moral education. That's what it's all about. So they say it's necessity and they are, uh, above all keep coming back to the, ne it's necessary to bring these law changes in to protect LGBT children from harm because apparently a religious education harms LGBT kids and makes them suicidal. That is the main argument. Well, David, that's extraordinary because, you know, you referenced Article 18 of the United Nations um, uh, Covenant, which protects parents' right to educate their children the way they want, in the religion that they want. But uh, what the Law Reform Commission now is saying is that essentially religion is harmful to a child and, and a parent is actually harming a child by giving that child a religious education. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, well, that's not what they're saying. It's what the Labor government says, because the Law Reform Commission is just a... Um, it's just doing the bidding of uh, Attorney General Dreyfus. Mm. Remember, it's a government agency. Mm. It so is simply doing what he asked, which is show me how I can get rid of protections in law for religious schools so they cannot educate their children in Christian ethics. Yeah. I want to know how and the Law Reform Commission shows them. I, I agree with you there, David. Um, the Attorney General, Mark Dreyfus, is well aware of these issues. It's been ventilated since the and before the uh, 2017 marriage campaign. Uh, schools, churches have said we, we want to have the right to educate uh, children and, um, and employ staff who share our ethos. So, so this is quite willful on Dreyfus's part. You're quite right. But uh, what, what is the evidence then that LGBTIQA plus people, young people, um, are harmed and, and the, the Law Reform Commission references, you know, data on, on suicide, saying that there's higher rates of, uh, of suicide uh, in this population than the general population. What's the, what's the data say about that? The data is very weak and very uncertain and, and your, your viewers may be surprised by that. Um, the Law Reform Commission doesn't actually talk about suicide rates, it talks about attempted suicide. And there's one example. There's a very big difference between attempted and actual. For instance, women have a much higher attempted suicide rate than men, but women have a much lower suicide rate, more attempts, fewer actual suicides. So there's no obvious correlation. The Law Reform Commission can't talk about suicide rate because we really don't know what the suicide rate is amongst LGBT. It's very hard. Um, and this is acknowledged by academics. But what's more important is how weak their argument is. Because first they take it out of any context. They say one in four LGBT students 
attempted suicide. Well, you go to the American huge research by the Center for Disease Control, guess what? One in four of all female students in America, one in four, had a suicide plan last year. Terrible. 10% of all um, high school students in America attempted suicide in 2021. It's an epidemic. I don't know why it's happening, but it's across the board terrible. And yet the Law Reform Commission cherry picks one article by uh, the Latrobe uh, Sex uh, uh, Research Unit that gave us safe schools, so we're not entirely sure about their ideological independence here, Lyle, uses one study and gives no context as to the grave uh, depression and mental health troubles across all kids. Then it goes further and tries to imply that um, they're having this high, <clears throat> LGBT kids are having this high suicide attempt rate because they're LGBT. That is made up. Because, for example, where we have good data from the Tavistock Clinic in the UK with transgender kids, um, uh, Professor Biggs wrote in the Archives of Sexual Behaviour uh, last year, he said, you've got to stop exaggerating the suicide risk. It's actually dangerous for kids. And he said, you should reassure parents that the numbers are very, very low. Mm. Now, they are slightly higher than the general population of non-trans kids, but, but... You cannot make the connection between them being trans and wanting to suicide because, for example, these same kids have a 15 times higher rate of autism and Asperger's, which, of course, can mess with their mind. So, so, so there's, the, a, there's, the other factors, there's other factors here, David. It's not a case of saying yeah. just because they're LGBTIQ or trans that they've got a higher uh, suicide rate, or, no. or, and it's certainly not a higher suicide rate. It's ideation, which is very different. But uh, you're saying they're not yeah. uh, looking at the data honestly yet. This is, this is wheeled out all the time by the political activists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's trying to pretend that correlation is causation. It's not mm. being honest about the complexity of this. And actually, I warned the Law Reform Commission, it's positively dangerous to so infantilise LGBT young people as to tell them that, look, you need to be depressed and suicidal until all Christian schools celebrate Pride Week. And, and it's not your fault. You can't help yourself. This weakens them. That's pathetic. That is not the way to encourage young people. You encourage them by saying, look, the world's full of different views. You toughen up and hold to your view. Let other people live according to their views, even if they're Christian schools. That's the way to go, but not according to Dreyfus and his Law Reform Commission. Yeah, well, that would be tolerance and, and diversity. Uh, David, what sort of um, vulnerabilities then does this open up for Christian schools in terms of you know, activists who might then try and use any changes to the law to try and help or try and make uh, Christian or, or Muslim schools, for that matter, bend to a particular view of the world? That's it. You've, you've identified it. The Dreyfus Law Reform Commission proposals knock down the defensive walls around a Christian school so that activists have free run to enter into that, into that community and alter its ethos. That's the point. It's about activists. So, for example, they give examples in the Law Reform Report. If you have an activist teacher who wants to teach kids the gay, rainbow, trans, whatever... Uh, uh, view of sexual ethics, he must be allowed to do so in a Christian school. As long as he gives the token Christian view as well, he must be allowed to subvert it in the classroom under this law. Wow. 
That same activist must be allowed to be a visible public advocate at the Pride Month parades, you know, in his bondage gear, whatever you like. If it's out of school hours, you cannot discipline that teacher. Yeah, even though the kids all know what he's up. And there you go, there you go, uh, your role models. This is yeah. this is really quite sinister because. Uh, the enrolments for Christian schools, particularly I can't speak for Muslim schools and, and other uh, religious schools in Australia, but Christian schools are the big sector. Their enrolments are, are through the roof and have been since the 2017 marriage plebiscite, since the, the definition of marriage was changed in law, since the so-called safe schools started indoctrinating uh, LGBTIQA plus gender fluid ideology into the public sector. Uh, so... People have fled to these Christian schools and now the Law Reform Commission doing the bidding of Mark Dreyfus is wanting to now infuse this refuge uh, with that ideology and, and give parents nowhere to go. You and I know, Lyle, from years of this, of this work, that the ultimate goal of the heirs of the sexual revolution, which is the progressive left, is to banish from the public square and ultimately from the private mind any thought that there's something wrong with certain sexual behaviours, that is forbidden. Everything must be allowed and celebrated. There must be sex without boundaries in our culture. This is the neo-pagan world we're entering, and they will do everything to crush these resistance centres, these recalcitrant Christian people who dare believe weird things like marriage should be for life between a man and woman, and sex should only be in that covenant, faithful, compassionate, lifelong relationship. These are our ancient ideas in the Christian world. We're not moving from them. And Dreyfus and his puppet, the Law Reform Commission, are trying to knock down the walls that defend our little subculture from the wider neo-pagan culture. That's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely, David. That's really well said. Um, and uh, we, we need to continue to carve out that space where there is the freedom for people to live out a vision of, of human flourishing, which is obviously at odds. Uh, I'd commend our viewers to uh, your uh, excellent submission to the Australian Law Reform Commission, uh, which is uh, doing this work on behalf of the government. Uh, your submission is a it's an absolute takedown of the very flimsy rationale and, and so-called evidence that the Law Reform Commission has given so-called professional lawyers. <laughs> it's a professional body for our, our legal profession. It, it's a joke and you completely smash them. David, thanks for your hard work and thanks for giving us of your time today on the show. Good on you, Lyle. Thanks, mate. This government has made it illegal for parents and clinicians of gender dysphoric children to seek out any treatments at all, no matter how reasonable, if they are designed to naturally alleviate the dysphoric feelings and leave the child's body intact. In Victoria, that is simply not allowed. In Victoria, doctors will lose their medical licences and parents will lose their children unless they affirm and entrench that dysphoria via experimental conversion therapies which try to socially, surgically and hormonally convert boys into an approximation of girls and girls into an approximation of boys. It's been all over the media for at least five years. And despite the fact that these interventions have now been proven to be medically unjustifiable, irreversible and devastatingly harmful, ideologues continue to vilify and incite hatred towards anyone sounding the alarm. They even blame these whistleblowers for trans youth suicides, which is the most disgusting and cynical act of political exploitation I have ever seen. The devastated parents, the furious clinicians, and most of all, 
the heartbroken ex-trans youth whose health has vanished and whose bodies are scarred deserve justice. And I call on this government to reinstate common sense and compassion and to conduct an open inquiry into gender affirmation practices in Victoria. That was a clip from last week's maiden speech by newly elected Liberal Upper House member Moira Deeming. Like millions of mainstream Australians, Moira is pro-life, believes children wherever possible should be given the love of both mother and father, and she believes there needs to be an inquiry into the rushing of children to experimental and irreversible gender medications. Now, it's not often a maiden speech from a rookie MP causes a Premier to feel so threatened he needs to respond. If anyone thinks the culture wars are not real and are not a priority for the radical left, take a look at this. I'm saddened to have to do this, but it is important to provide clarity when it comes to a number of very important matters. Firstly, when it comes to the termination of a pregnancy, uh, it is the law of this state and the policy of this government that that is a matter between a woman and her doctor. That is settled. That is settled despite what might be said in other parts of this building, in other parties, at other times. Moreover, uh, adoption equality is settled law in this state uh, because of work that this Labor government has proudly done to rewrite the statute book to make sure that equality uh, is not only not negotiable but is there for everyone to see and works and lives and is practised in every way. Again, uh, our support for the trans community is not negotiable and settled. We will not weaponise these issues to make challenging times and challenging experiences all the more difficult. We will not use the trans community as a political weapon, shamefully as others continue to do uh, in this precinct, in the other place, this week. We will support the trans community in any way that we possibly can, and that is fundamentally a recognition that the trans community are 15 times more likely to self-harm. Uh, if that is not motivation enough, well, it's our values that tell us to do this, and that's why we'll continue to do it. But it's not just Labor which disagrees with the newly minted Liberal MP. Victorian Liberal leader John Pesuto, when asked about Deeming's speech, said this, quote, I don't agree with those views. I'm progressive, I'm modern, I'm inclusive, I love everybody and want everybody to have opportunities in our great state, end quote. Now, it's a shame that the Liberal Party leadership is on a unity ticket with the Dan Andrews radical social policy. The British have closed their child gender clinic for harming children, yet the leaders of Victoria from both parties say it is settled that children can continue to be experimented on here. So much for the family-friendly party of Menzies and Howard. What's quite frankly offensive and intellectually lazy about Pesuto's response is his implication that those of us who are pro-life and concerned about the harm of children being done in child gender clinics are somehow not inclusive, not progressive, not modern, and worst of all, that we are unloving. Now, this is not debate, it's demonization. And no, Dan Andrews, these issues are not settled. While ever abortion to birth remains on the statute books and while ever children are being harmed in child gender clinics, these issues are not settled and there will be debate. And the public will, if they so choose, elect parliamentarians like Moira Deeming. Dan Andrews might like totalitarianism, but it is not the Australian way. 
Well, Kira Lee Smith is the spokeswoman for Binary, a campaigning organisation seeking to preserve the dignity of women and girls from the attacks of the LGBTIQA plus political movement. Kira Lee, you've discovered pornographic books depicting homosexual sexual acts being made available to children in Australian public libraries. What is the LGBTIQA plus political activism? What, what is it doing to our children? Well, it's targeting our children and um, I will say it, they're grooming our children. Uh, you know, prior to um, the redefinition of the word marriage, uh, there was a lot more protections for children, a lot more safeguarding for children. But since then, we've seen that collapse in a massive way. It was happening beforehand, but uh, that seemed to be the trigger because then we were forced as a society to teach children about sexual orientations and sexual identities. Now, both of those things have the word sexual in them because they have to do with sex. Yeah. And sex is for adults, adults only, as you and I know, yeah. Lyle, and it's it's quite horrifying now. Uh, the permissions it seems to have given uh, LGBTX plus activists to sexualise our children. Well, let's look at some of these permissions. Uh, we mentioned these library books that you have discovered in Australian libraries um, depicting some of these uh, sexual um, practices, which I think any parent would want to be kept uh, well away from little children, yet you've discovered them in at least two Australian libraries. Tell us what you found. Yeah, well, there, there's even more, actually. So Nick and Charlie is one book and Gender Queer is another. Uh, I was alerted to them um, you know, like a child in America and his father were uh, exposing them in their libraries. I looked into it here in Australia. And then Bernard Gaynor uh, yesterday actually announced that he also found them at Logan City Library. Uh, I know they're in my local library. I know that they're in Sutherland Libraries. These are right around Australia, Lyle. And they're books that don't just describe sexual acts. They have pornographic images yeah. of children engaged in these pornographic acts. They're horrifying. They're images that I, I do warn your viewers. Um, you can't get them out of your head. I'm, I'm, I'm so sad that I they even saw those images. But these are books that are being promoted in the youth sections of our libraries here in Australia. Yeah, it's absolutely shocking, Kiralee, and, and you're right, you can't get those images out of your head. And it, the shocking thing is, as you just said, it is children engaging in these sort of acts depicted in graphical form in these children's books. Uh, it really is quite shocking. And uh, it, it goes to show uh, what has happened to our culture since the redefinition of marriage, since we've had to uh, normalise these sort of sexual concepts. Uh, Kiralee, I want to, and well done for exposing that. Uh, I want to move on to something else. Um, Sydney is currently hosting uh, World Pride, which is a big global extravaganza of all things uh, homosexual. And uh, the city is awash with uh, rainbow flags. Uh, but we've seen also, again, pornographic and animal fetish public art in view of children. Now, why do you think the organisers of World Pride can get away with this? Well, they seem to be a bit untouchable, don't they? I mean, they're, they're able to bully and censor and uh, remove um, everyone else's ability to even ask questions about these things. And I, I know you're referring to two, let's not call them art. <laughs> they're graffiti, they're obscene. You know, one was a, a teddy bear head fetish 
at Wynyard Station where hundreds of children a day walk past. Another was rainbow wings uh, depicted out of penises. Like these are, again, pornographic, revolting, repulsive images that our children and the general public are being exposed to, yet our um, public servants and uh, those in authority are so captivated by this ideology or so afraid uh, to counter the ideology because of the... uh, you know, get labelled horrific words, your businesses get attacked. Uh, People are feeling very helpless and don't know what to do about it, but they are not happy with it either, Lyle. We know that uh, the teddy bear one was vandalised overnight, but, you know, once people were made made aware of it because um, it's not something we want to tolerate, but I don't think people are equipped to know how to handle uh, these things because it's just coming on and it's accelerated so much at the moment because of world pride. Um, It's a very difficult situation. It it is very difficult, but I think people have got to know that these murals, uh, they they weren't just randomly put there. They were part of Sydney World Pride and um, the organisers, again, they need to be held accountable and uh, they need to explain why they're targeting children in public spaces uh, with this clearly inappropriate material. Kiralee, um, this, again, this rainbow political movement's insistence that gender is fluid and that's all part of the rainbow flag package, which is, again, these rainbow flags are all over Sydney at the moment. But uh, this insistence that uh, gender is fluid is having consequences for women and girls playing soccer in the part of the world where you live, up in, uh, in central uh, northern New South Wales. Why are men being allowed to play with the girls? Yeah, well, this is not just happening in my area uh, since found out. This is happening right around Australia because Football Australia's policy is that any player can register in any division that they feel comfortable with. So whatever their gender identity is, there's no need to prove it. There's no need to um, have lived, you know, uh, as a transgender person. Um, It's a very, very open policy and um, there are men playing in the women's division and any man, even yourself, Lyle, any man could register as a female. Uh, We've been taking this to our local club, to our local divisions and then to Football Australia itself. And, again, the bullying and harassment that myself and my family have experienced because they're trying to silence women's voices. They're telling us no one's complained but they won't register our complaints. Uh, They are uh, actively, they've deleted my personal Facebook page with 47,000 followers there. Every day I get reports of uh, on Twitter uh, that they don't like. Simply I'm asking two questions, Lyle. One, what is a woman? Two, why are there male and female divisions if you can play in either of them? I don't think they're unreasonable. They're not rude. They're not difficult questions even. And yet Football Australia have the power to silence not only my voice, but hundreds of thousands of participants around the country. Hard to understand what's going through the minds of the administrators of, of uh, Australia, you know, soccer competition, Football Australia, I should say. Um, I, I guess some heartening news, though. Um, a survey that came out uh, uh, recently uh, for, uh, of national rugby league clubs, this is the NRL, um, surveying uh, club uh, CEOs, board chairs, found that 88% of uh, the people running the game here in, uh, in Sydney, in New South Wales, well, it's, just, it's Australia-wide, the National Rugby League, were opposed to the Pride Round, which forces players to wear the political rainbow flag on their jerseys. We saw the Manly Seven, those brave seven uh, players last year who refused to do it, uh, caused a big controversy. Uh, So the the administrators have been asked their thoughts about having another Pride Round. 80% 
we're against them. Um, is the tide starting to turn? Well, let's hope so, Lyle, because, you know, there has been a little bit of pushback. I think, you know, through our organisation and others, there's going to be a lot more pushback. And I think and I hope what they realise is sport is a national pastime because we want to escape politics. We want to escape um, all these ideologies being rammed down our throat. Just let the people play the game, for goodness sakes, without making a political statement. And uh, it is encouraging and I hope that more CEOs and administrators will take note of um, of that. They can just get on and play the game. That's all we're asking them to do. Really well said, Kiralee. Kiralee, where can people go to find, uh, find information about your organisation, Binary? Yeah, binary.org.au. We've got campaigns running. We've got... Uh, you can sign up for a weekly email. There's lots of great resources on the website, um, stories and testimonies and uh, tools to equip you to help you in your community and your circumstances to just simply uh, affirm and defend the fact that biological sex matters. Well done, Kiralee. Well, look, thanks so much for giving of your time today. Thanks for all that you're doing to raise awareness of this important issue. Uh, Kiralee Smith, uh, thanks again. Thanks, Lyle. So it's wonderful to be standing here today with Rebecca Lang, the CEO of the Queensland Network for Alcohol and Other Drug Agencies and also representative of the Pill Testing for Queensland Alliance and announcing the Palaszczuk government's commitment uh, to see pill testing happening uh, across Queensland. That was Queensland Health Minister Yvette Darth giving young people the green light to enjoy pills concocted in dirty labs by criminal bikey gangs or some Asian triad. Education and prevention, not green lighting the use of dangerous drugs, is the way to stop deaths of young people at music festivals. Now, while I understand the desire to reduce the harm caused by illicit drug use at music festivals, drug testing stations are not the solution. By providing a false sense of security, drug testing stations will only increase the risk of harm to festival goers. Drug testing stations give the impression that the drugs being consumed are safe when in fact there is no such thing as a safe illegal drug, even if tested. Drugs obtained from illegal sources are often laced with harmful substances and the purity and the potency of the drugs can vary wild wildly, making it difficult to accurately determine their safety. Moreover, drug testing stations do not address the root causes of drug use. Rather than focusing on harm reduction, we should be investigating and investing in uh, prevention, education, treatment programs that address the underlying issues that lead to drug use. There is no perfect way to stop drug use, just as it is impossible to completely eradicate murder in society. But just because something is hard doesn't mean we should decriminalise it. So-called harm minimisation never works. It only sanctions that which should not be sanctioned. An iron rule of public policy is that what government allows, society gets more of. Drug testing stations send the wrong message to young people. We need to prioritise education and prevention, efforts that address the root causes of drug use rather than relying on measures that give a false sense of security. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining me. Don't forget to share this content far and wide. Be a force multiplier, help get the message out. Until next week, goodbye.